0: church, everyone. I'm Pastor Tim. Glad you're with us for our January series, Simplify. And before we dive in, uh, let's uh, let's give some love. Let's send some liquid love, make noise for all of our six campuses joining us today. Glad you guys are with us. Or if you're at church online or podcast, glad you're here. Uh, This series, Simplify, is all about clearing the clutter and making room for what matters most, right? Last week, we learned uh, really what it means to simplify our schedule, that most of us are overscheduled, overloaded with to-dos and tasks and events and activities that leave kind of, they kind of squeeze out room for what matters most, and that is relationship. Uh, relationship with God, presumably that's why you're here today, and relationship with those we love. Um, we acknowledged, actually, that busyness is the enemy of relationship. We have a congregation kind of full of Marthas, very, very busy, uh, you know, cluttered, and with all these to-dos and activity. But Jesus invites us to slow down like Mary and kind of step away from our crazy, chaotic, cluttered schedule to make time for that kind of unhurried, one-on-one, unrushed relationship with Christ, which is a challenge because it requires clearing our calendar and intentionally scheduling time for our most important relationships. We said, hey, God's given you a gift this year. You've got a brand new calendar. It's completely white, and you've got all these days in front of you. What are you going to prioritize? When you intentionally schedule time for the relationships that are most important, everything else kind of flows out of that. Well, today, I want to really build on this idea of simplifying our schedule and investing in relationships by talking about the role of simple community in the life of a Christ follower. As you've probably heard our entire church is about to embark on this seven-week churchwide campaign called Seven, or more fully, Seven Churches of Revelation, and I'm pretty excited for it because for seven weeks we're going to be studying the book of Revelation. This is the last book of the Bible, and um, Revelation kind of gives us a glimpse into the future that God has planned for our planet. And we're not going to be studying the entire book of Revelation. We're not going to go like all, you know, 21, 22 chapters kind of thing. What we're going to do, we're not going to get into like, oh, you know, who is the Antichrist? You know, that kind of thing. We're going to dive deep into the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Uh, Now, Revelation is one of the most mysterious books of the Bible, and I think most misunderstood. And that's why you need biblical community. You need others to speak into your life and help you apply God's truth. So starting in February, each Sunday, I'm going to preach on one of the seven letters, help you understand the Bible. But then in small groups of, you know, 10 or 12 people, you're going to have a chance to apply the Bible, actually, you know, discuss and and, and share your thoughts, what God's saying to you, uh, dig deep into a study of God's word. And that happens best in simple biblical community. Now, quick heads up about this, because this is a little bit different. This series is different than our freeway series last fall. That was also seven weeks, if you remember it. And that freeway experience was, um, well, it was very experiential, right? It was kind of about exploring our personal stories and this inner journey to freedom in Christ. But some of the feedback we got is that our group's material was a little bit light on Scripture, and folks are looking for more of an in-depth Bible study. That's what seven is. Seven Churches of Revelation is a very intense, in-depth Bible study that I really believe could change your life. It's been kind of rocking my world as I've been preparing for it over the last couple of months. It's a a personal letter from Jesus in the last days to his church, which includes you and me. And the picture it unveils of Jesus kind of moving among his seven churches with power is pretty intense. Uh, To give you a sneak peek, I want to show you a trailer that our team put together for the seventh series this February. Check this out. exciting, right? Kind of feels like a Jason Bourne thriller. Uh, the reason for that is that we are going to go on this journey through seven cities and these track, these seven letters that are written to seven churches and ask a scary question. What would Jesus say to our church, right? I mean, imagine if Liquid Church of New Jersey received a letter written by Christ himself. What would he say? What would he say about our, our passion for God, uh, about our, our faithful service to the poor, Or our endurance in suffering. You know, would his words to us bring like, you know, commendation? Like, hey, great job, guys, you're doing it. Or conviction. Like, come on, guys, you are compromising with the culture. The truth is, we have that letter written to us. It is called Revelation. And in February, every liquid small group is going to take kind of a deeper dive into the scripture for seven straight weeks Because we believe in the power of simple biblical community. That when you go deep with God and others, when you're studying and praying and fellowshipping together and applying the Bible, life change happens in community. So let me be upfront about my goal today. I'm going to kind of use all my persuasive powers as your pastor to convince you to join a group this February with 10 or 12 other people at your campus who are in your season of life. Or if you're already in a group, I'm going to ask you to recommit and say, yeah, I'm up for it. I am in for these next seven weeks. So what that means is, any stage of life you're in, if you're a 20-something single, we want you know, find 12 other millennials and you form a small group. You can all be late together. Isn't that great? Um, that's why I hang out with them. Uh, if you're married with, you know, uh, you know, you're a young couple, you find other young couples. Or if you're married with, you know, you got toddlers, you got little kids, find other parents who like have a nervous twitch and you join a group with them. Empty nesters, we got groups for empty nesters. Remember, we're just doing what Jesus did, Right? He did life in community. He had 12 disciples he shared life with. And that's exactly what a group is. A dozen or so liquid attenders who meet during the week, typically in someone's home. Some of them meet in diners or coffee shops. And we do basically three things. A, B, C. We A, we apply the Bible to our life. We open up God's word. What's it saying to us? B, we bear burdens. We actually pray for each other and and support each other. And then C is a chance to serve your community. And we have a record 200 groups this February all over the state, every age and stage, singles, young moms, teenagers, college groups, uh, groups for senior citizens, and they meet different days of the week. And so at the end of today's service, if you're not in a group, we're going to give you a chance to actually get in one uh, and join that. If you are in a group, you can go say hi to your group leader, give them a high five, thank them for leading. But I'm actually going to cut today's sermon short and give you just a little taste of revelation from chapter 1. And then you're going to get a chance to meet the group leaders at your campus, find one that fits and sign up. You know, for Colleen and I, it was last fall that we wrote the word group on our calendar. It was Tuesday nights. We wrote the word group. And we said, you know what? For seven weeks, we are going to meet with a small group of 20-somethings. And it was amazing. We had a chance to actually eat together and pray together and learn together and laugh. We had a great time. And if you're already in a group, that's great. You say, you know what? I'm going to reactivate that on my calendar. I'm going to commit those seven weeks. Or you may be like, I've never done it before, but 2017, I'm going to prioritize relationship. And I realize this is a big ask, right? You guys are very, very busy to invest one night a week. But as we learned, unless you schedule it, you are not really prioritizing relationship. Spiritual growth, even with God, doesn't just happen spontaneously. You have to be intentional about it. So this is a really easy on-ramp for engaging scripture in simple biblical community, especially for this series. Um, I think seven is so timely uh, because of the culture we live in, right? We live in turbulent times. If you watch the news, the world is in this state of constant chaos and upheaval. Uh, it seems to be growing darker. Certainly our culture is more hostile towards Christianity than it's ever been in my lifetime. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, say, you know, Pastor Tim, um, is God still speaking today? I believe he is. I think the better question is, are we listening? Are are you listening? Can you hear what the Spirit is saying? This is a phrase you're going to encounter over and over again in Revelation. Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I believe we are living in the end times or the last days before the return of Jesus Christ. And so his words of warning and hope in Revelation, I think they're more relevant than ever. Certainly as relevant as they were in the first century. So I want you to kind of open your ears for maybe just a few minutes and let's explore what God's saying to us in Revelation chapter one. I want to give you a little quick taste of this powerful book and then you'll have a chance to sign up for a small group, or go say hi to your leaders if you're in one. If you have a Bible, you can open a Revelation. It's one of the easiest books to find. It's the last book of the Bible. And so if you open up there, we'll jump in at chapter 1, verse 9, which tells us this. says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering, interesting word, and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God, and the testimony of Jesus. And this is a great opening line because it gives us three important clues. Notice it tells us who is writing, uh, where he's writing from, and why he's there. In other words, who's the author of the book, who's writing? A guy named what? John. John is the last living apostle at this point. All the other apostles are dead. Paul is beheaded, Peter's been crucified. James martyred. They're all dead. Only John is left alive, and he's probably 90 years old at this point. And the interesting thing about John is, remember, he spent three years by Jesus' side, living life with Christ, part of his inner circle. And after Jesus died, he was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. John became a key leader in the early church. He was like one of the head of the Jesus movement. But he no longer lives in Jerusalem. He moved to Ephesus to be a pastor there around 60 AD. But when he's writing here, he ain't in Ephesus. He's on the island of what? What's that say? Patmos. This is a tiny Greek island in the Aegean Sea. Let me show you a picture of it today. You can visit there. Beautiful island, ringed by volcanic cliffs and very barren beaches, and, and you're looking at that, and you're like, wow, that's beautiful. That's like a beautiful desert island. Can I go vacation there? Uh, you could. John wasn't on vacation, okay? The reason John was there is he was a prisoner. Patmos was a penal colony, founded by Rome. In other words, when Rome had people who they said is a threat to to our state, a threat to Caesar, we put them on a desert island, lock the door, and throw away the key. And John was sent there, he's about 90 years old, to live the rest of his days mining rock, breaking rock in a quarry. Why is he being punished? A 90-year-old man? The answer is because of the word of God and the what? The testimony of Jesus. He won't stop talking about what he saw Jesus do. That he lived this sinless life, that he was crucified on a Roman cross and he was raised from the dead and now he's Lord of all. That's his crime. He held fast to the Bible and the testimony of Christ. See, things turned kind of ugly for Christians around the 60s under Emperor Nero. For the first time in history, there was state-sponsored persecution of Christians. Nero hated the Christians, actually blamed them for Rome burning. His successor, Domitian, hated the Jesus followers. Because they refused to worship Caesar. See, in those days, if you were a Roman citizen, you had to say these three words. Caesar is Lord. And the Christians refused to say it. They said, no, no, no. Jesus is Lord. And that was seen as an act of treason according to Rome. So they would round up the Christians, imprison some of them, martyr others, burn them at the stake, feed them to the lions. Why? Because like John, they held fast to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's why he says, I, John, your your fellow brother in the suffering. This was a time of tremendous persecution. So get this. This is not an easy moment to be a Christian, okay, when Revelation opens up. This is a culture very hostile to Christianity. It's why John's no longer a a pastor in Ephesus. He's a prisoner in Patmos. He's going to spend his dying days breaking rocks in a quarry cut off from communication. But then he receives a visitor. And it's not a visitor from the mainland. It's a visitor from another world. Look what verse 10 says. On the Lord's Day, so this is Sunday, John says, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And these are seven different city names. Uh, Let's try to pronounce these together, all right? Let's have some fun. I know you'll kind of butcher them, but we'll all do it together, all right? So here we go. Ready? Ready? Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. That was good. You were strong on Philadelphia there, okay? So it's the Lord's Day. It's Sunday. And John has his vision. There's this loud voice that says, John, I want you to write down. I'm going to dictate a letter. Write this down and send this letter to seven cities. And these seven cities follow a pattern. Look at this map. This was the local mail route in the Roman province of Asia. It started at Ephesus, and you can see it kind of went around like in a half horseshoe clockwise, ending in Laodicea. Now, you look at this today, you can visit all seven of these cities. You're like, where is it? It's in modern-day Turkey. This is about 200 miles south of Istanbul, where there were terrorist attacks a couple weeks ago. It's right on the coast of the Aegean Sea. Now, Who's speaking here telling John to write to the city? Who's talking? Verse 12 says, John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a gold sash around his chest. The hair on his head was, uh, it was white like wool. It was white as snow, and uh, his eyes were like like blazing fire, and, and his, his feet were like, a, like like bronze glowing in a furnace. And, and his voice was, it was like the sound of, of rushing waters. Do you get the sense John's struggling for words? Do you get the sense like he doesn't have language adequate to describe what he sees? What does John see? John receives in his little cave, his little prison cave on Patmos. One of the most glorious, overwhelming visions of the resurrected and glorified Christ standing before him. But notice, Jesus doesn't look like you and I envision him. Like when I say, what does Jesus look like? You probably have something in your head. At Christmas, we think of Jesus, his humble birth. You think, well, oh yeah, baby Jesus in the manger. I like baby Jesus. Or you think on earth, well, Jesus was a humble servant. He was a poor carpenter. He washed feet. He healed the sick. Very, very humble and earthy. Even on Easter, we imagine the resurrected Jesus who still bore the nail prints and fresh scars of crucifixion. This is not that Jesus. This is Jesus Christ resurrected, ascended, and glorified, majestic, awesome, all-powerful, his brilliance, the heat of a thousand nuclear reactors flooding out. That's what the word revelation means. It doesn't just mean to reveal something, it means to unveil something someone's never seen before. Jesus Christ in his full heavenly glory. John says in his right hand, he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a a sharp double-edged sword. And his face, it was like the sun shining in, in all of its brilliance. And John's vision of Jesus here is so powerful, it actually knocks him to his knees. He says, I fell down when I saw him as though dead. It dismantles him. John is undone. This revelation, this unveiling Of who Jesus is and where he is now totally strikes him awestruck. He has no words. You know, we sing these songs sometimes like, Jesus, I just wanna see you. Jesus, uh, uh, take me to where you are. (laughs) Jesus, I wanna see your face. John would be like, "Uh, yeah, not so much. (laughs) Not so much overwhelming power that John sees. You know, this week I was getting coffee on Tuesday morning. It's like a local coffee shop. And I've got revelation in my head and I'm studying all this stuff. And I walk into the coffee shop and as I walk in, they have a sign about their coffee and it says, each cup is a revelation, right? I'm like, really, (laughs) right? And then I get to the counter and it says, awesome taste, awesome right? We, we, you and I, we throw these words around, right? Like, man, that pizza was awesome, right? Like, like you, you mean you've had pizza that knocks you to your knees like dead? Like, yeah, awesome? Not in the biblical sense of the word. Only Jesus Christ is awesome. Only Jesus Christ is a revelation. And when you and I see him next, we will feel like John. Words will fail, John has no language to describe the overwhelming power and glory of the resurrected Christ. He's like, he has uh, snowy hair, his fiery eyes, his voice sounded like uh, Niagara Falls. I I can't say exactly. Have you ever seen something so beautiful, so like breathtaking and majestic, that you actually can't describe it? It's like describing the Grand Canyon, you know? If I said to you, what words would you use to describe the Grand Canyon to a blind person? Like, here's a pencil and a piece of paper. Write out what you see. What would you say to a blind person? Would you say, well, it's um, it's big. Uh, it's, uh, it's really deep. It's, uh, it's red, uh, like a sunset on Mars. Like, wh- what would you say? There's a river that... Runs like an emerald snake through the bottom, words are inadequate. And just as you and I struggle to describe our creation, John is struggling to describe his creator. He's, he's like, My language is limited. I can't tell you what his overwhelming glory and majesty are like. And so he falls to his knees. He's literally awestruck by the heat of a thousand nuclear reactors. He says, I can't even look at him directly. Friends, it is critical that you and I understand this vision of Jesus. You know why? Because that's how you'll see him next. That is how you and I will see him next as John sees him here in Revelation. Each part of his person tells us something about him. Let me break this down for you. It says, the hair on his head was white like wool. It is a symbol of his purity, purity beyond a thousand snowstorms. His eyes were like blazing fire which represents Christ's holiness and his omniscience. In other words, he sees everything, even our motives. His eyes are like lasers. He sees everything. They miss nothing. He is holy. He is wise. His omniscient. Now, let me ask you, does that thought encourage you? That Christ sees everything? Or does that frighten you? The idea that nothing going on in my life or in your life or the life of our church is unknown to our Lord Jesus Christ. His holy, wise omniscient penetrates everything. Feet like glowing bronze in the furnace. This is actually a symbol of judgment. Very interesting. In those days, when somebody came before the king, the king was always on his throne. In other words, he was elevated and his subjects were underneath. And so the king's feet came to actually symbolize judgment because he was always judging the subjects under his feet. And John says, your Lord has feet of glowing bronze. He will, he will stamp out sin in his church, blazing, molten, gleaming feet of judgment in, in a voice like the sound of rushing waters. Imagine John hearing the waves pounding at Patmos. Just this, this incredible, have you ever heard Niagara Falls? You ever visit Niagara Falls? What is the sound? You, your people you're visited with, you can't speak to each other. You can't hear each other because there are hundreds of millions of gallons of water thundering and crashing down in power and authority. And out of his mouth, John says, came this double-edged sword, again, a symbol of judgment, Christ dividing between what's pure and what's impure. Here's what's righteous and here's what's corrupt. That sword is protecting his church and purifying his church with his sharpened word. And John says his... His face, I couldn't even look at it. It it It's like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. In other words, the unveiled glory of God, you can't even look at directly and survive. Awesome, isn't it? Better, awesome, isn't he? Friends, this is how you and I will see Jesus Christ next on this earth. Because in Revelation, he makes a promise. Behold, I'm coming, and I'm coming soon. In verse 7, John writes this. He says, look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. This is a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the, the bodily, physical, visible return of Jesus Christ to planet earth. The second coming. The first coming or, or first Advent, right, was a Christmas where Jesus came to earth as a helpless baby to die as a sacrifice for sin. But John says, understand the second coming, the second Advent, Jesus Christ will step onto the battlefield of planet Earth as a conquering, victorious king. And every single one of you will meet him. John says every single person in this room, every single person on earth will meet Jesus Christ because he's inescapable and he's unavoidable. And the question for you is this, will you meet him as your savior or as your judge? Every eye will see him. Will you you rejoice? You'll be like, my savior, salvation's here. Or will you mourn because your judge has come? Guys, this is the critical question. It's the question. It's a question of eternal life and death. So understand when Christ returns on the clouds, if you don't meet him as your savior, you will meet him as your judge. This is serious stuff. Like, like do do you understand why John, like, he falls down as dead. He's full of fear and awe and overcome because the revelation, the unveiling of who Christ is, is so overwhelming. This is not the Jesus John remembered in his mind's eye. He remembered a humble carpenter, right? With worn out sandals, feet covered in dust. He would look into his eyes and he saw soft, brown, compassionate eyes. Jesus, humble in his humanity. But now he sees Jesus glorified in his deity and his eyes are aflame. His feet are glowing. He's got a sharpened sword and it fills John with fear and awe. This week, I was struck by this. I was convicted. I was like, I think I treat Jesus too casually sometimes. In my effort to make sure that people know like, hey, Jesus is approachable. Anybody can touch him. And yet there's a sense of fear and respect too of who he is and what he's come to do. I thought of John, 90 years old, (laughs) this guy in a cave writing it down. I started feeling bad for him, but here's the hope, here's the hope. John must have been scared out of his mind, but John knew Jesus as his savior. And so Jesus reached out, and says, then he placed his right hand on me and said these four words, let's read these four words aloud, church. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. If you wondered who this is speaking, he says, I was dead. Now I'm alive. This is the crucified and resurrected glorified Christ. And he is no longer weak and wounded. He says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. He is a triumphant, conquering, victorious king. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he conquered sin. But when he rose from the dead, he defeated death. And he says, I now hold the keys of death and hell. What's man's greatest fear? If you ask people, they'd be like that I die and go to hell. And he says, no fear. I hold the keys to both. Amen? All you have to do is turn from your sin and turn to Christ in faith. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, one day, he will say to you what he said to John. When he returns, he'll say, no, no, don't be afraid. I'm not here to judge you. I've come to save you. Won't that be an awesome moment? Awesome moment Christ unveiled. Because of his sacrifice, we will finally be free to live in his love forever and ever. I imagine Jesus putting his hand on John's, you know, shaking shoulder and saying, don't be afraid. I am, I'm here to bring peace, and comfort, and hope to my faithful servants, so John, write down these words. I have an assignment for you, John. He actually says, write, therefore, what you've seen, what is now, and what will take place later, and so I imagine John getting, you know, a pen and a parchment, he's starting to write, and he was like, well, I don't understand it all, right? Revelation's confusing. John's probably like, what are those like seven stars in your hand and the seven lampstands? What's that all about? And Jesus says, let me break it down for you, John. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this, the seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. In other words, each lampstand represents a single church. Why is that an appropriate symbol? What's a lampstand do? It gives light into darkness. That's the role of Jesus's church. And he says, the angel of the seven church is a messenger. In other words, it's the pastor or the leader who delivers God's word. And so Jesus says, I'm going to write seven letters to seven churches. I want you to send it to the seven pastors. And they need to read it out loud to the church because I am moving in my church. And some of them, I want to commend. Great job. Some of them, I want to correct. You got to fix that. And some of them, I'm going to command and correct and critique. And then chapter one of Revelation closes. That's the end. And what you will read in chapters two and three are these seven letters that Jesus wrote to each church. Every congregation gets its own letter written specifically for it. And for seven weeks, starting in February, we're going to Study every single letter for each single church. And here's something pretty cool. We just published custom study guides to go with this. I'm so excited to show this to you. These arrived in our office this week. Behold, our very own custom study guides for the seven series. Can we hear it for our creative team? They did a beautiful job for this. So proud of them. Gorgeous workbook, beautifully designed. We really want you guys to understand Revelation. There's a lot of materials out there. Some of them can be very confusing. So we're like, you know what? Let's make our own. Just kind of break this down for people, and you'll be able to see it's chock full of scripture and discussion questions, background information, and every member of every small group needs one of these to participate. And it's really going to be amazing because what we'll do is each week, we're going to follow that route that was set forth here in Revelation 1. So for instance, week one, we'll go to Ephesus. Ephesus which I called the, uh, the forgetful church. <laughs> these guys were actually an amazing church. They were known around the, the world for their good deeds and their serious faith, but they actually forgot something. They forgot their love for Jesus. Whoops, <laughs> problem. <laughs> See, that's something we're gonna discover. These are not perfect churches. Some of them were sick and struggling. Some of them were downright dysfunctional. And Jesus writes these letters to correct, to encourage, and to heal them. Week two, we'll go to Smyrna. That's the suffering church. These guys were getting crushed by persecution. They were just going through the ringer. And Jesus is like, don't be afraid of what you're going to suffer. I will be with you every step of the way. How do we suffer well? Pergamum is week three. That's the compromising church. This is like the American church. Pergamum was this kind of cosmopolitan city. And the church just basically, they're like, yay, Jesus. But they basically just compromised and blended in with the surrounding pagan culture. Thyatira, the wayward church, that's week four. This congregation had one foot in each world. They basically strayed from the faith, but Jesus kind of corrects them, gets them back on track. Sardis, I called the slumbering church. These guys were asleep. They were sleeping. Jesus is like, you guys were awake and you were alive at one time, but now you're like, you are dead. You guys are like spiritual sleepwalkers. He's like, you guys need to wake up, slumbering church. Week six, Philadelphia, the enduring church. You know, the church in Philadelphia had a very serious sin. It was full of Eagles fans. And so, <laughs> and so Jesus was like, I spit you out of my mouth. No, that's week seven. Laodicea, the lukewarm church, week seven. This is actually the most notorious congregation. This is the one Jesus says, you guys are neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. I actually spit you out of my mouth. In other words, just said, church, you make me sick. You do not want to hear those words on your year-end review from Jesus, okay? (laughs) Guys, Jesus is speaking. Are you listening? Can you hear what the Spirit is saying to you? I hope you will pick up a guide next week and the week after. I think we're selling them for five bucks. We're not making money; it's just to help subsidize the printing costs. But these are going to be available um, for purchase next Sunday at every Liquid Campus. In fact. We will have some of these guides available um, with our group leaders when you go out to meet them in just a couple minutes when I end. And that's kind of the moment where I would like to actually invite the small group leaders at your campus to come forward and introduce themselves. So at all our campuses, would you guys welcome your small group leaders? Come on in, guys. At all our campuses, give them a hand. Come on, big hand. Make some noise. These are spiritual leaders in our church. Come on down, guys. At all our campuses. And hold up your signs. Hold up your signs so people can see them. Um, I'm going to end the message basically here so you now have a chance to go meet the group leaders, kind of one-on-one, eyeball them, kick the tires, find out what group might fit for you if you're not in one, what day does it meet, what time, who is it for. And let me be very clear. These are like every age and stage. Do you see how it's all, all different stages here? They are a seven-week commitment, but some of them are different locations or different days of the week or times. Uh, for example, where's a, is Jared and Alyssa here? Where are you guys? We were talking before here. Jared and Alyssa, tell us, who is your group four and when does it meet? Awesome. For campuses who are listening, she's like, ours is for young couples. We meet at our place, and it's on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. That's just an example. Uh, We have mom's group. We have one called Momtourage. It's hilarious. Uh, It meets in the morning. It's like young moms with little kids, survival. We have men's groups that meet at the Randolph Diner at 6 o'clock. I'm not a Christian at 6 o'clock, so I can't go to that one. But uh, all different kinds of groups, every age and stage. And at your campus right now, in your program, if you pull it out, here's the list for your campus. Can everyone open their program? Take this out. We've got the list of all the groups at your county. And if you look at that, you'll get a good sampling of it. And on the back is a map of where these leaders will be in the groups room at your campus. We're going to use the last 15 minutes of this service to give you a chance to actually get in a group. You don't have to wait till you get home and go online. You can actually meet them today, kick the tires, ask questions of our leaders, and get connected before you go home today. Now, parents, I just want to note this. Please, 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 don't go pick your kids up early without 15 minutes, all right? Because we're, they're not done yet in Liquid Family. We are letting you out 15 minutes early, but not your kids. And we're giving you this kind of buffer time to go to the group's room again. If you're in a group, awesome. Say hi to your leader, thank him for leading, give him a high five, and then pick up your kids. But I just want to be super clear. This is something, guys, that every group at Liquid Church is doing this fall, even our high school students, we'll be going through the seven guides with us. So parents, great opportunity for your family to grow spiritually together. Um, group leaders at every campus, I just wanna thank you. I love you guys, I thank God for you guys, I'm praying for you guys. Would you give them love one more time? You guys are amazing, amazing leaders. I'm gonna ask you to head on out. Go ahead, group leaders, head on out at your campus. They're gonna go out to the lobby to set up the groups area at your campus and uh, and you can go meet them in just a couple, couple minutes. Um, If you're new, guys, small groups are how you get plugged into our church. This is how we make a big church feel small. It's how you find friends. Last fall, we had over 2,000 adults in groups, and believe me, they would look at their calendar and say, you know what, that was worth the investment. Our world, guys, is going to say, you know what, you don't have time for this. Look at your calendar. You don't have time for simple community. But the truth is, you will never grow deep in Christ until you go deep with his people, the church. See, Sunday, Sunday is just the start. But your faith is lived out Monday through Friday. And the investment you make today will have ripples into eternity. So let me ask this. Here's your calendar. Let's fast forward five years. It's 2022. What if some of you said, It was February 2017 and I wrote the word group on my calendar and my life was never the same because over that seven weeks studying the churches, God got my attention and he spoke to me. He set my faith on fire. Jesus became real. I had a vision of who Christ is and something shifted in my heart. What if we look back as a church and we said, you know what? When we studied the seven churches of Revelation, it set our church on fire. It was a catalytic season and took us to a whole nother level. That's my prayer as your pastor. I've been praying behind your back that God will use this series to set you on fire. Ignite something in your small group. Set our church on fire. That's the journey we're going on as your pastor. I pray you'll be part of it. If you're not in in a group yet, join one today. If you are in a group, recommit. Go thank your leaders, say hi to them. And for seven Sundays, say, I'm gonna commit to coming and gathering in a group during the week. Let's pray together and then I'll send you guys out. Father, thank you so much for your word. We're humbled by it, God. (laughs) Uh, You rocked me a little bit and corrected me a bit in my thinking this week. I can be way too casual about my faith. And God, you are a God of great mercy and grace and compassion. And yet you are full of overwhelming power. And so we have healthy respect and fear for you too, God. We want to redeem these days that you've given us between now and whenever Jesus Christ returns. Lord, we want our lives to count for eternity. So guide now, I pray there would be providential relationships that form even now, as uh, the people in this room and our campuses go out to meet our group leaders. Connect the right ones, Father God. Let them be grafted into community and experience the fullness and richness of your word this February. And we ask all the glory and the fruit to go to Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And everyone said together, Amen. amen, amen.